Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. This episode is episode number 213 of More Than Bread, and it's episode number 10 of our Christmas pause. It's been my intent throughout this podcast to to deliver it in such a way that it's kind of timeless. And when I say timeless, I don't mean forever good, not that kind of timeless, but I have wanted it to be the kind of thing that, I don't know, a few years from now, someone could start at the beginning and not have it feel dated, timeless like that. Five years from now, I want you to be able to invite a friend or a coworker, neighbor to go through the Gospel of John. You think, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. I went through that in the podcast more than bread. Let's listen to that together and discuss the Gospel of John, and and kind of find that it's still fresh by the Spirit of God. It still breathes life into our souls. Now, having said that, obviously a Christmas pause is not timeless, at least not more than once a year. That that's why it's a pause. Perhaps for my own good, I felt that if I'm going to spend uh, the extra time during this podcast, during my busy Christmas season, I I need to do something that will feed my soul too. And what, I don't know, I guess to be honest, what my soul really needs right now is the wonder and renewal and hope of Christmas. And, and I hope that that's feeding your soul as well. So we're taking a, a pause from Paul's letters from prison to his friends in Philippi, and, and we're doing Christmas. We've already gone through some Old Testament Christmas previews and hung out in the Gospel of Matthew for four episodes, and and now we are beginning to turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke, probably the most famous of the Christmas passages, right? So in the last episode, we looked at Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and it was all about giving a gift that would touch the heart of Jesus, not forgetting the one whose birthday we celebrate. In this episode, we're in Luke's Gospel, and, and I'm going to be reading uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38. Here's what it says. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this this happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the the angel left her. You know, I, I love good stories. If you know me, you know I love good stories. And one of the things I've loved in these last uh, 15 to 20 years about going to Myanmar is the stories, like the story of Mitch Shui. Now, the Burmese people are one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. 27 million people, almost 99% Buddhist, 0.07% Christian. In terms of persecution, the Joshua Pre- Project has ranked them in the top 25 countries. I believe this last year in the top 20 countries for the persecution of Christians. But around Christmas, the government has always seemed to relax a little bit. So the orphanages will go around and do a Christmas outreach. 
they invite a village into their ground or they go into a village and they put on a Christmas service, maybe a dance and and some songs, some Christmas carols, and someone will preach about Jesus and then they'll feed them. And because they're feeding them, they might get two to 3,000 people at a Christmas outreach. For the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, Calvary has helped fund those Christmas outreach events. We, we did this year as well. That, that, that December, 15 years ago, Agape chose two different villages to go into for their Christmas outreach. They came to the first village the night before, but that night, Buddhist monks in the village rounded up the people. They came and surrounded the home they were staying in, our friends from Agape Orphanage, and they began throwing rocks at the walls. So our team decided that probably meant they should leave. So they left early in the morning before it was light, and they went to the second village, which was more receptive, and so they proceeded to do their Christmas outreach there. After Joseph, the the leader that we work with there, told the people about Jesus and the story of Christmas, he was having a conversation with one of the men. His name was Mitshui, a former Buddhist monk. His sons were in training to be monks now, and, 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 and at that time, he was working for a general in the army overseeing his fish pond. So Mitshui was talking to Joseph, asking him about this Jesus and about prayer, and and he told Joseph that he had a pain in his arm that was so bad he couldn't do his fishing, and And he looked at Joseph and he asked, do you think Jesus could heal me? Joseph said, yes, absolutely. And he gathered the team around Minshui and they began to pray. But Minshui was not healed and and so he went away. But that night, Minshui woke up at about three in the morning and he had this vision of a bright light coming down through his house, covering his head and his arm, and his arm was healed. That same night, one of Mitshui's sons was sleeping on the edge of a field miles away. He was working in the field and, and sleeping in a shack on the edge. And that same night, his son had a dream of a cross with a light coming from it. He, he didn't know that Joseph's team was in the village. And when he came home, he told his father about his dream. And his, his dad told his son about his vision and his healing. And the whole family decided there must be something to this Jesus. But when when Joseph explained to them the commitment of salvation and baptism of following Jesus, they weren't ready or willing to do that. So Joseph invited them to come to the pastor's conference that we had while I was there after Christmas. Come and listen to the pastor talk about Jesus, Joseph told Mitchway. At the end of the first day, Joseph asked them if they were ready to be baptized. No, no, we, we, we need to hear more. At the end of the second day, Joseph asked them if they were ready to be baptized. No, we, we need to think more. On the last day, Minshui came to Joseph and said, we believe in Jesus and we want to be baptized. And, and then he brought out these robes, the robes of a Buddhist monk, his robes and his son's robes and his begging bowl. And he gave them to me. And asked me to bring them back to the church so that everybody here could see that Jesus has the power to change the heart of a Buddhist monk. That Sunday, I had the honor of baptizing Minshui, his wife, and his four sons. And as I'm recording this, I'm looking up at a shelf near the the ceiling of my office, and I see the, the Buddhist begging bowl and his robes. And in the years since then, the story has continued. Mint Sui became a missionary to his own people, the Burmese Buddhists. In fact, uh, about five years or so ago, Lynn and I were in Mint Sui's village with a team of about 10 people participating in a Christmas outreach to over 2,000 people. <laughs> Why? Because one day, a man named Mint Sui said yes to Jesus. He said yes to Jesus. That was the beginning. He said yes to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I believe that you are the one. And 
And in, in doing so, he became part of the Christmas story, a story that's still changing the world. So I just want to stop for a moment and focus on the one we celebrate. Paul writes in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. All things hold together. He's like the the great cosmic principle. He's quantum physics in person, and and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus, he was was born in a small rural village over 2,000 years ago, and yet he always was and always is and always will be. He rarely traveled far from home. He wasn't a world traveler, but he created the whole world. He lived a few years past the age of 30, but his life divided history into two times, the time before Jesus and the time after Jesus. He was born to a blue-collar couple, father a carpenter, mother a teenager. He could identify with today's working poor. In his lifetime, did more than a dozen ever call him friend? Did more than a few hundred ever call him leader? Did more than a, a few thousand ever hear him speak? He had no business. He didn't lead an army. He was never elected to office. Let me say that again. He was never elected to office. He was never voted in. So many people simply missed him. But they didn't know that he was the one. Although he was before all things and in him all things hold together, it seems like he was kind of easy to miss while he was here. Of course, sometimes it was hard to miss that he was the preeminent one. Like that time when they were out on a boat and a storm came, wicked storm, experienced sailors, incredibly afraid, waves higher than a house, tossing them back and forth. They thought they were going to (laughs) die until Jesus woke up from his nap and spoke to the storm and said, be still. Who is this guy? Peter wondered. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Or when he called Lazarus to come out of the tomb. (laughs) Or how about that day when he hung on a cross and and he called upon God to forgive the ones who put him there. And then when he died, the world grew dark and the earth shook. And there was a Roman soldier there that day at the foot of the cross who said, Oh, I think he was the one. Or how about a few days later when he rose from the dead and showed up at dinner, everyone but Thomas wasn't there, <laughs> said, you're, you're the one. Would you stop for a moment and just ask that question? All of us at some point should ask that question, Jesus, are you the one? We, we may be amazed by the visions and the dreams and the, the healing that led to Mitch Shui to say yes to Jesus, but all of heaven rejoiced when he and his family simply said, Jesus, you are the one. And understand if he really is the one, if he really is who we celebrate at Christmas, who he claimed to be, then he is the single most significant person who ever lived. He is preeminent in everything. And if he is preeminent in everything, then perhaps Christmas was never meant to be just one day inspired by the story of Christ's birth, but rather a story that gives inspiration to every day. If I say yes to Jesus. Have you accepted Christ as preeminent in your life? Have I accepted Christ as preeminent in my life? 
Some of us admire Jesus, but we're not devoted to Jesus, right? There's a difference. Admirers play it safe. They like from a distance. Admirers hold back. But those who are devoted, they dive in with a reckless, joyful abandon. They're all in. I love the story of the woman who entered a haagen store on the Kansas City Plaza for an ice cream cone. And after making her selection, she turned and found herself face-to-face with Paul Newman, who was in town filming the movie Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Some of you aren't even going to get this illustration. You don't know who Paul Newman is. But he smiled and said hello, and Newman's blue eyes caused her knees to shake. She managed to pay for a cone and left the shop heart-pounding. When she gained her composure, she realized she didn't have her snack. She didn't have her ice cream cone. She started to go back into the store to get it and met Newman at the door. (laughs) Are you looking for your ice cream cone, he asked. She nodded, unable to speak. He looked at her and said, you put it in your purse with your change. (laughs) See, when the presence of Jesus makes our hearts pound and our knees shake, Then we'll find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story, the ongoing, continuing, ever-present Christmas story. See, perhaps the real question is not so much how do we keep Christ in Christmas. The real question is how do we keep ourselves in Christmas? How do we keep Christ preeminent in our hearts? And, And I think it starts with believing that he wants it. The angel said to Mary, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was disturbed at the saying, and the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary was greatly troubled. She was confused and disturbed. You know why she was confused? She was confused because she was from Nazareth. An angel came to Nazareth to talk to a teenager who was engaged to a carpenter. And and we've heard the story so often that it doesn't produce the sense of wonder and disbelief that would have occurred in the minds of many in that day. I mean, later in his life, someone would say of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was the armpit of a nation that some considered the outhouse of the world. Why would God recruit an insignificant, uneducated, financially insecure girl from Nazareth? It didn't occur to her that God would invite a nobody from Nazareth to begin the next chapter of the story that would change the world. Some of us are so convinced. You're so convinced that you listen to me. God could never use me. I'm so ordinary, so insignificant. Nobody notices me. And if they knew how messed up and confused I am, they'd reject me. I don't even want them to notice me. But God loves to invite people the world considers weak and insignificant. The invitation of Christmas is an It's an invitation to hope, the hope that God would, (laughs) that God actually wants to come to us, the hope that he has a story and that we're actually part of his Christmas story, the hope that he knows my name, he knows where I live, he knows my address. Like, Like God invited Mary and Joseph, simple people of low esteem in the eyes of important people, an uneducated teenage girl and a blue collar worker in the armpit village of a country too small and weak to even protect its own borders, like Like God invited Mary and Joseph, listen to me, hear me say these three words. He invites you. He invites you. You found favor with him. The Greek word for highly favored is a rich word. It means, it means please. Gabriel was saying, Mary, God is pleased with you. It also means to pour out blessings. Mary, God is so pleased with you. He wants to pour blessings out upon you. And I read that and it kind of makes me think if only I could please God like that, but I, I, I don't think I can. I don't know if you're like me, you read this statement from an angel's lips to Mary's heart and you think, wow, she must have been pretty amazing. 
Mary must have been pretty amazing. I wonder what it was that God saw in Mary. What was it about Mary that pleased God so much that he chose her? And and I'll be honest, I, I don't know what God saw in Mary when he invited her to be a part of his story, but I do know what he sees in you. Here's a really interesting thing that I found that this word used to describe Mary as highly favored is used only one other place in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 where Paul writes, So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. And and the the Greek word for wonderful kindness is that word favor. (laughs) We praise God because he has highly favored us. Why? Because we belong to his dearly loved son. If you are a follower of Christ, that's who God sees. When he looks at you, he sees his son and daughter. You're, You're favored by God. And what was Mary's response? Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I I love the way it's written there. (laughs) I love that translation. Let it be to me according to your word. Let everything that you have said about me take place. I surrender to your word. And the angel departed from her. I, I just want you to know, he wants to come. Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to draw you into his story. He knows your name. He knows where you live. You're not invisible to him. You're not hidden from him. You have found favor. If if you're a Christ follower, just because you are in Christ, not because of what you did yesterday or today or tomorrow, but because you are in Christ, you have found favor with God. And really, all you need to do, all you need to do is to do like Mary and surrender Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary was favored by God, but she didn't become part of his plan until she said yes. When she said yes, she not only became a page in God's story, she became God's pen. So what if you were to say, I will give God a full yes. I will give God a full yes. I will give myself for others. I will say yes to Jesus. Let it be to me according to your word. Don't just celebrate Christmas this year. Become part of the story. Accept his invitation. Say yes to the preeminent Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I just I, I pray for each and every person. Listen, I pray, I pray for myself especially. I want Jesus to be preeminent in my life. I want Jesus to be preeminent in the life of everybody who's listening. Would you lift Jesus up? Holy Spirit of God, would you lift Jesus up in our minds and our hearts? Jesus, I want you. We want you to take first place. We want you to be preeminent. We say yes to you. Would you show us every place in our lives where we're saying no to you? And we just say, would you let it be to us according to your word? We love you, Jesus. We say yes to you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.